First Peter chapter number one, I want to read verse six, seven, and eight. Really, I want to focus on verse number eight, but we'll look at verse six and seven. We're making our way through First Peter on these Sunday mornings. Wonderful, wonderful epistle. Wherein ye greatly rejoice, though now for a season. If need be, ye are in heaviness through manifold temptations. But the trial of your faith, being much more precious than of gold that perisheth, but be tried with fire, but be found in the praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. Whom having not seen, ye love, and whom, though now ye see him not, yet believing, ye rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory. We know that Peter wrote this epistle sometime around A.D. 64, A.D. 65, just as Roman persecution was being thrust against the Christians in that empire. Nero had declared Christians as enemies of the state. And for hundreds of years, the official policy of the Roman Empire was that Christians must die. And so these Christians, they had been uh, run away from their home, they had been separated from families, they've been excluded from society, they've been faced, of course, all kinds of tortures and persecutions. And this letter was written to the believers who were living under what history calls the first wave of persecution. There would be ten waves, and, and it was very, very dark days. And I, I think a lot about the time that we live in right now. And how that our world has changed so much and how that our world is changing. The Bible tells us that perilous times have come. We just don't know what kind of peril. The Bible tells us that all that will of God be shall suffer persecution. We just don't know what that persecution looks like. The Bible tells us that in the end time that there will be a one world government and we can see the push for globalism every day, but we just don't know what that's going to look like. And there's a fallacy in, in, in being newspaper exegetes, and that is uh, interpreting every current event in the light of Bible prophecy. I think you're better to stick with the Bible than the newspaper. But we do see things around us that are happening, and I believe that we see signs or things that are at least a precursor to something that is coming. I, I, I strongly believe that. When I was a child growing up, the United States and the Soviet Union were in a cold war and facing each other down. And so, so, so when prophecy preachers would preach on end-time events in America, it was always in the context of the threat of Russia. That, that was how the world was going to come to an end. I can remember, and some of you may remember a similar thing, I can remember preachers getting up and preaching on the tribulation or something along those lines, and they would, they would give the illustration, what if the, what if the Russians invade and that they come in with bandits and force you to deny Christ, what are you going to do? And it was that kind of threat that was always put out there. It had to do with Russians and bayonets and things of that nature. And it wasn't particularly persuasive to me because I didn't know any Russians. And, and to be honest with you, it seemed a little bit like a pretty far-fetched idea. But we've always had a tendency to interpret by the prophecies in light of whatever is going on around us at the time. So today you don't hear much about the Russians invading. Today it would be the Chinese. The Chinese invading. What are we going to do if the Chinese come and invade? But I believe that we are witnessing a threat to our nation and the world right now. And it's very feasible that it can be used against us as Christians. 
The world has been wrestling with this pandemic for the last year and a half, and it's still going on. And the most alarming thing to me is how that governments around the world have, have used public health to steal away uh, power, to take freedom away from people. We, we see that all over. In Australia right now, if you're keeping up with what's happening in Australia, Australia's gone full-on fascist, just as fascist as Nazi Germany was, and, and people cannot participate in the social structure of that country without a vaccine passport. They even have police that are firing on their own people, and it's, it's really, really ugly over there. And I look at, I look at Australia as a, as a testing ground for other globalists to determine how much they can, can take control everywhere else. Now, it would have helped if the Australians had not given up their guns, because of the, uh, but, but that ship has sailed. Uh, that's not the message. And the problem, the problem, like in Australia, is that they're demanding that everyone take a vaccine in order to participate in society. To hold a job, to eat at a restaurant, to, to travel, uh, to be treated like everybody else. And so their freedom is contingent upon them taking a first vaccine, which you understand is no longer freedom. Now, our government is not yet um, shooting people for not taking a vaccine. We're, we're not doing that, but they are making the same demand. And in America, there's now a new class divide between vaxxed and unvaxxed. In certain fields, there are people that are forced to take a vaccine. Some of you have had to do that as well just, just to keep your job. In some cities like New York City uh, and other places, you, you can't eat inside a restaurant unless you have been vaccinated or have some kind of ID. They're talking about uh, requiring it to travel domestically. And, and, and Joe Biden has announced that, I think, since, until November, that all foreigners uh, coming into the United States have to prove vaccination unless you come across the Rio Grande River, thinking you're okay. So we have, we have two classes of people. We have, we have vaxxed and we have unvaxxed, and your government thinks that the unvaxxed can lose their freedoms and, and be cut off from parts of society. That, that's the world that we're living in. So when asked if I was vaccinated or if I would get vaccinated in order to keep my job. And I'm not vaccinated. To be honest with you, I, I'm as scared of the vaccination as I am of the virus. But I have absolutely no medical opinion as to whether you should get vaccinated or not. I support your right to make a decision for you and your family. And, and, and if you have this, I, I don't think that about you. There are some people that go on an anti-vaccine rant, and they're against all vaccines, all child vaccines and, 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 and everything. And, and we probably have some people in our church like that. And, and that becomes your soapbox. And, and I want to know, I'm okay with you vaccinating your children. I'm okay with you not vaccinating your children. I'm okay with them being your children. All right? You, you, you do what you want to do with yours, and we do what we wanted to do with ours. I've never preached an anti-vaccine message because I'm not a doctor. And all that I would be doing is just repeating something that I read on the Internet, and I don't get my sermons on the Internet. So, so we have people in our church that have gotten vaccinated, and I fully support that, and I hope that it keeps you safe. And, and I'll drive you to the doctor to get the shot to me. I'll be glad to do that. I'm against being forced to vaccinate. That, that's what I'm against. I'm against the mandate. And if your government can force you to take the vaccine, then they can force you to do a little, whole lot of other things. Because I, I am for liberty more than I am for security. 
And if you can be forced to, to take something in order to be involved in society, then that is a very, that's a very scary thing. Because what happens when they declare Christianity to be a public threat to society? If you just change the word COVID to Christianity, the world leaders pushing the pandemic will think that they want Christianity just as much as they hate anything else. We already see the censorship in YouTube. Uh, you, you, you can, you, you, they'll ban you if you post a video against the vaccine. Well, well they'll ban you if you post a video against something one day. It, it, it's all about control. I don't see the Russians or the Chinese coming. I see the greatest threat to our freedom as, as our own government. And, and I can absolutely see how the security that has been launched in the name of public health could one day be expanded to put the churches and to shut down religious organizations. If they can demand a vaccination to attend a sporting event, then they can demand a vaccination to attend a church event. So the Russians are not coming with the bayonet. It might be the public health office that is coming. But we're facing a very clear and a present danger to our freedom, and you should be alert to it and have some convictions about decisions that you are going to make when that time comes. So First Peter is written for people that are living in dark days. It's for Christians. It's for Christians that are living in perilous times. And in verse 6 and 7, Peter recognizes the suffering of these Christians. But when he does, he does not pity them. He doesn't tell them just to hang on to the end. He doesn't tell them that there is no hope. But when he finally mentions their suffering, he tells them to rejoice. In fact, in verse 7, he tells them that their trials are precious and they are more valuable than gold. And the Christian life is filled with paradoxes that those outside of Christianity would never understand. But no paradox greater than rejoicing in suffering. You see, suffering for the Christian in the Bible is never addressed as if they come. It is always when they come. And any teaching or teacher that can de-emphasizes suffering is being dishonest to people. The charismatic or TBN stories and they get up and tell you that you have can have enough faith to ward off that they're, they're, they're being deceptive, that they're being dishonest. And while we don't insist over our trials, we also do not ignore the need that we face real trials and real troubles and real tragedies. It is a part of life that we encounter. And suffering reminds us that we live in a broken world, that we have great needs, and the greatest need that we have is the grace of God daily in our life. He says in verse number 7, and I, I want to just go through this phrase, and I'm going to try to get to verse number 8. But there's a phrase in verse number 7 that the crown of your faith being much more precious. And two weeks ago when I preached that, we looked at that word precious, some things that you have that are very precious, very precious. But there's another statement that he uses that the crown of your faith being much more precious is the crown of gold that perishes. Trials more precious than gold that perishes. Now, 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 if I were to offer you grief or gold, I know what you would choose. If you were to offer me grief or gold, I believe I'd probably take the gold. Because we see more value in gold. But God sees more value in trials. 
at the time that Peter wrote, there were some metals that they were not worth. And at the time that Peter wrote, gold was the most valuable substance or commodity that was known to man. Gold has been used as a currency for civilizations, and gold has been valued for jewelry and decorative pieces, and today gold is used in computers and cell phones and electronics and all kinds of manufacturing uses, and so, so gold is very valuable. Some people buy gold as an investment. You may have an investment advisor. You may have some gold in your portfolio to help you take against inflation, whatever it might be, and, 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 and gold's valuable. Right now, gold Gold, if you want gold, you can buy some at about $1,750 an ounce. That's what gold is, is trading at right now. So, so gold is valuable. So what can be more valuable than gold? Well, just listen to the verses. Psalm 119 and verse 127. David said, Therefore I live by commandments above gold. Yeah, above fine gold. He said, God's word is more valuable than gold. Proverbs 4 and verse 14. For the merchandise of it, wisdom, is better than the merchandise of silver and the gain thereof than fine gold. Wisdom more valuable than gold. Proverbs 22 and verse 1. A good name is better to be chosen than great riches, and love and favor rather than silver and gold. So the Bible says that the Word of God, wisdom, and a good name is more valuable than gold. And I would say, I agree with that. I can preach an offer of those. But you have to add into the list the Word of God, wisdom, a good name, and your trials are more valuable than gold. And it's not the trial, it is what comes out of the trial. If they think that can be more valuable than gold, but a trial that could produce a faith that has been tested and has stood the test, a faith that has been proven to be genuine, a deeper walk with God. I'm going to tell you, if Christ produced that in your life, then that is more precious than a gold that perishes. Let me take just a minute and let me talk about this trial more precious than gold. Let me say, first of all, that trials will bring a greater rejoicing than gold. Back up to verse number six. Well, then you greatly rejoice. But now for a season, if need be, you are in heaviness through manifold temptation. And I want you to notice that the rejoicing is not separate from the suffering. That even in manifold temptations, that even in the heaviness of heart, there is still at that time, there is deep joy and confidence. It's as if your life is going this way, but your joy is going another way. Oceanographers, those are people who study the ocean, oceanographers study the current of the ocean. And I will tell you that an ocean has two currents. There is a surface current, and there is a deeper current. The surface current is driven mostly by the wind. But you know the way the wind is blowing, you see the waves, you see the tides. And they said that surface, that surface current can go down about 350 feet deep. But when it goes beyond that, it's no longer driven by the wind. There's another current that's driven by how salty the water is, by the temperature of the water, other things. And they said 
that, that the current and the action can actually go in two different directions at the same time. So the circumstances that is driven by the wind that you and I see, it is driving the water in one way, then if you go down deep enough, that there's another current that is actually going the opposite direction at the same time. And that's how it is with the Christian. But on the surface, there are heaviness and dark clouds and black waves that are driven by the winds of circumstances that are going against us. But at the same time, at the same time, that there is this surface kind of underneath a whole lot different, a kind of rejoicing and joy that flies in the opposite direction. He says in verse 6, where you go to rejoice for the apple season, it means. Be. Suffering is necessary, but not just in general. Every trial from your father is on a need be basis. Your father never tests you needlessly. David said it is good for me that I have been afflicted, that I will walk by. If need be, says you never had a tear for nothing. If need be, says that you never faced a test that was not for you. If need be, it says that your heavenly father has never brought a test to your heart that is not for your good. If need be. All of this phrase, when you drink the rejoice, though now or season. See, trials are necessary, but trials are brief. The little while that may seem like an eternity, and even with the season into your entire life, it is still for a little while. Because the Lord covers with us temporary suffering, but eternal glory, while the Lord might get temporary glory, but the devil thinks eternal suffering. Oh, but for a season, but for a season. I think it brings a greater rejoice. In 1849, 1849, there was an immigrant from Switzerland. That moved over here, <coughs> and he got Mexican and American uh, citizenship, and he moved to California, Sacramento Valley area. His name was John Sutter. And John Sutter got a claim for 50,000 acres in, in that area, and he was going to build a fort and going to build a, uh, a township and whatever. And at that time, Mexico owned California, which they still did, but at that time, Mexico still owned California, and, uh, and eventually there was a war, and, and then we, we got stuck with it. Well, in 1848, John Sutter hired James Marshall to build him a sawmill right there on the riverbed. And so James Marshall was building this small sawmill, and one day he looked down the riverbed and he saw something glittering. <clears throat> he picked it up, and it looked like gold. So he figured John Sutter didn't. Sure enough, <coughs> they had discovered gold. So they wanted to keep the clock for themselves, obviously. But within weeks, man, word got out. Next couple of years, 300,000 people moved to California, the California gold rush. Just trunk it rich, getting gold. By the way, John Sutter died almost a pauper. It didn't really work out for him. That's another story. All the 49ers, what they call them, come out here finding gold. And whenever they found gold, here's what they would say to their state. Eureka. Eureka. Eureka means I found it. I found it. In fact, there's a city out there called Eureka. That's how it was named. Eureka, California. I found it. I found it. In fact, today, the state motto for California is Eureka. Eureka. Just such joy. I mean, you dig it and you dig it and you dig it and you find, you find this little, Eureka, I, I found it, I found it. But I want to tell you, 
there is a greater eureka. There is a greater joy. There is a greater blessing than finding gold. It is finding a faith strong enough to withstand the test of life. A faith that is filled, a confidence in God, trials will bring a greater rejoicing than gold. And you get sick of me, not only that, but trials will bring a greater reward than gold. Look at verse number 7. That the trial of the faith brings us more precious than a girl that perishes, but the trial of the fire of this might be found on the praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. Now, one of the reasons why gold is so valuable is that it is almost indestructible. Gold doesn't corrode, it doesn't rust, it can't be destroyed by fire. Fire melts away the dross, fire purifies the gold. But the hardest fire cannot harm the purest gold. And when our Lord puts us in the fire, it's not to harm us, it is to purify us. It is the fire that burns up the dross, it gives us a Beauty of holiness that would not be known without the trial. I don't know if you've ever seen a documentary on gold mining before. The gold mine is big business. And when you go to, to, to find gold, it's, it's, not, it's not a pan in the way, it's not how they do it anymore. When they go to find gold, they, they don't use shovels, they use excavators. I mean, it, it is multi million dollar business. Did you know it is common? For them to extract and to go through 30 tons of rock and dirt just to harvest one ounce of gold. One ounce. 30 tons of rock just to find one ounce of gold. And here, here's what's interesting to me. That when gold is refined, it is reduced in size and weight. But when faith is purified, it increases and it grows. The more that you put the gold in the fire, the more it burns down. But the, the more that you put your faith in the fire, the more it grows and is refined. Job said, you know, the way that I think when you tell me, I shall come forth as gold. Because you see, everything that glitters is not gold. Sometimes something has the appearance of gold, but it's just, it's just gold plated. And oftentimes they would, they would sit on it and try to scratch it against something of this and see if it would scratch off. In fact, I didn't know this, I did some research. Did you know that the gold medals at the Olympics is not gold? It's not. The gold medals at the Olympics are 92.6 silver. They're gold plated. You know, there's a lot of Christians who present a golden faith, scratch them just a little bit. You'll know when it is tried by fire. But watch this phrase. That the trial of your faith, being as more precious than gold that perishes, but the trial of fire, watch this, might be found on the praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. Now, I have read that statement a hundred times and I've memorized this statement. And all 100 times I have read it, as praise and honor and glory to Jesus Christ at the appearing of Jesus Christ. That when He appears, we are called up to heaven, we are the judgment seat, and we are supplied by fire, 
Our faith is tested. Your prayers that we have come through, that our eyes will bring Him praise and glory and honor. And that is certainly true. But I'm not sure that that's what this verse is saying. Could it be that when your faith is tried and that when you come through, the Lord of the Father, that the Father has designed for you, could it be, could it be that God the Father will praise you for trusting Him? That you are giving honor for being faithful. That you will see glory for keeping joy in the fire. You see, you see, you're not giving me about for your glory. All of your accomplishments and all of your accumulations and all of your possessions are not going to matter in heaven. But I don't care what the matter in heaven. What do you think that you exhibited down here? I spoke to Brother Tony Scott yesterday. He called me. Brother Scott is very familiar to our church. He and his wife both at COVID, and both of them in the hospital. They're both recovering. They've got a long way to go. And Brother Stark went over to Rwanda, Uganda, came back, broken body, a lot of health problems. Kept going back to Africa when he should not have been going back to Africa. He wants to go back to Africa. And, and a broken body that badly screams, it's time for you to sit down. And he's just not ready. Brother Stark and I were talking yesterday, and, 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 and we're talking about Rwanda. We're talking about God, we're talking about Uru and Giri and, 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 and the church and, and, and Mother Yusinti, and, 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 and we're talking about all of that. And, and he's talking about, you know, about supporting this pastor for two years and, and we're going to help him. And, and, and we've got the black sheep. He, in his mind, in his mind, he is still a missionary in Rwanda. His mind. And I'm going to tell you something when we get to heaven, I know that we're going to worship Jesus Christ. I understand that. I understand that. Well, somehow I just think that Jesus Christ is going to give honor to Tony Stark. For I, 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 I reckon, I reckon that the substance of this present time, that the, and I be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us, in us. I'm going to tell you that trials bring a greater rejoicing than gold. It brings a greater reward than gold. But I want you to look at verse number eight. Trials will bring a greater relationship than gold. Who having not seen ye love, and him that I can see him not yet believe, ye rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory. This year, as you know, is our 30th anniversary. And you folks are so gracious to pay for us to go to Hawaii for our 30th anniversary. And we're supposed to leave next Monday or the Monday after. And they shut Hawaii down. And so we canceled the trip. We're going to go in March or spring, something we, we, we're going to wait until they open up. But one of the things I wanted to do for my wife for our 30th anniversary is I wanted to replace her wedding ring. I planned to buy a new ring every 30 years. So, so that's what I was planning to do. So, so we went out and we shopped. And, and you understand that when you shop for jewelry, you already know going. You already know going. This is one of the things you're going to get hosed on. Okay? You just know that walking into it that, that you're not going to get a good deal. There's a huge markup on jewelry at 300 and 700%, whatever it might be. When you buy, when you buy a diamond ring for your wife, you're not buying the value of the ring. Okay? It doesn't matter, carrots and SI, none of that matters. None of that matters. Does it sparkle? That's all that matters, okay? You're not buying an investment. You're not thinking, you know, in 10 years, this diamond's going to be much more, and if she dies, you're not thinking that, okay? 
The only, the only thing that you're buying is the happiness of your wife. That's the only joy that there is in it, all right? And, and, and that's fine. You, you just know that that's the value. The value is not the diamond. It's not the ring. It doesn't sparkle. Does she like it? She's happy. We're good to go. So it is an investment. It's not, it's not in the way that you think that it is. So we bought a ring. Whew. <laughs> and um, only one of us is happy, happy but anyway, we a ring. The gold ring, the gold ring is a symbol of my relationship and my love for my wife. The relationship is much more valuable than the ring. I mean, at least for me it is. I hope, but the, the, the relationship is more precious than the ring. The gold can never be a substitute for the person. So Peter tells these saints, your trials are precious, it will produce something that's more valuable than gold. And then he has this statement about loving the Lord whom you've not seen. I believe that trials don't drive you away from Christ. I believe that trials draw you near Christ. When my wife and I have gone through trials together, it didn't drive us apart. It deepened our relationship. And if you'll show me a young Christian who has never suffered for his faith, I'll show you a Christian who loves the Lord, but probably has more affection for the world than the Lord. But you show me a Christian who has been slandered and abused and persecuted and affliction and is not bitter, but there is a sweetness about him. And his love for Christ somehow, it just goes deeper and it is so much more precious. The fire of affliction does not turn our hearts away from Christ. It only turns our hearts towards Christ in a greater way and it produces an even greater joy. This week I got hung up on verse number 8. I was supposed to go to verse 10. I got, I got hung up on this verse number 8. And I was going to skip verse number 6 and 7, and I was going to deal just with verse number 8. But the more that you study it, there was just too much in here. But verse number 8 is my testimony. It describes the basis of Christianity. Because I really believe that verse number 8 is what keeps you going during the fiery trials. Verse number 8 makes verse 6 and 7 possible. So I was looking at verse number 8. And I was having trouble with verse number 8. I'm almost, I'm almost, almost done. I, I really am. I was looking at verse number 8. I was having trouble. And so I texted four preacher friends that I know that are excellent at outlining. And I said, here's the three thoughts in verse I need an outline. Help me, please. Somebody help four preacher out. Now, two or three preachers, whether Ricky Gravely, Chris Simpson, a couple of guys, threw out a few little things. It wasn't helping. So I texted a couple of guys here. I texted Jacob, I texted Joe, I texted Eric, maybe one person. I said, I need a little help. Somebody help me. I, I need an outline. I, I, I got the outline, but it didn't have a little rated. You can't preach it. It's alliterated. I, I need help. And Joe Bertram gave it to me. I want to give you credit. I'll give you credit, my brother. Right. Now, when I preach this out, I won't, but I'll give you credit. Now. <laughs> I want you to look for some rate. I'm almost done. almost done. Can you love someone you've never looked upon? Whom having not seen, ye love. Now the world says there can be love at first sight. But here there is love with no sight. We live in a sensual world and the world around us lives by the five senses. If you can't see it, hear it, smell it, touch it, taste it to the world, it doesn't exist. We're visual. Seeing is believing. But faith doesn't work that way. Faith is there because of things not 
seen. And we wish that we could see him, but do you realize that most people in the gospel who did see him didn't believe in him? The sight of him didn't help their faith in him. In fact, to most people, his flesh was a veil that healed his true identity to them. We have never seen him, but there has not been in the hands to me nothing him. In fact, Peter, Peter, a man who had seen him. Peter had seen him like this. Peter knew his voice. Peter could pick him out of the crowd. Peter could tell you exactly what he looked like, but three times the Lord had to say, Mother saw me. My other saw me. He looked the eleven me. I think it would be better not to see him loving and to see him not loving. Jesus was scared, saw him, he didn't love him. Conscious Pilate saw him, he didn't love him. The Pharisees and Sadducees, they saw him, they didn't love him. But we love him having never seen him. And just because you can't see something doesn't mean that it's not real. It would make more sense to the world if we had seen him, then we follow him, but the fact that we have not seen him, but faith operates on the unseen. 2 Corinthians 4, verse 13. While we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen, but the things which are seen are simple, but the things which are not seen are eternal. The need of my heart is not a visual representation of Jesus Christ. The need of my heart is to look the Christ that I have seen with the eyes of faith. If you were to show me a portrait of Jesus Christ that was a guaranteed opposite, I remember years ago when we built this building and we put that baptistry in there and we needed something with these baptistry rooms. I wanted some kind of little artwork. And we had a man in our church and he was going to go and do that. And he came back with a picture of Jesus. Long-haired Jesus. And he was a new Christian. He had no idea that it's not what he looked like. But if you could give me a portrait of Jesus that was guaranteed authentic, this is exactly what he looked like, it would not produce any more love in my heart for him than what is already there. Huh? There are people I see all the time that I don't have a relationship with. But I do have a relationship with one whom I have never seen. Jesus could not be any more real to me than if he were to walk in the auditorium right now. And one day, one day, I will see him, and my love will be more perfect for him because I will be perfect. But right now, I love him as much as my heart possibly can without seeing him. I love someone I've never looked at. But look at the verse again. Can you love someone you've never looked at? Can you believe something you've never beheld? Whom have you not seen you love? What's this? And whom the man is seeing not yet believing. The world says that seeing is believing. The Bible says that believing is seeing. You can see something clear with the eyes of faith, and you can with the eyes of the flesh. Yeah. There have been many people that have given report to the policeman and said it was a black man in the white car, but actually it was a white man in the black car. I think that's what I saw, but I took it away. You draw eyes and put a trick on you. And I'm going to tell you that the old school of God sees more than a whole lot clearer now than he did when he first got faith. Your eyes diminish with age. Your faith grows with age. So hold your finger right here. Go to John chapter 20. I am almost done. John chapter 20. Well, look at this. John chapter 20. Look at verse 24. This is Thomas. Thomas, one of the twelve, called Didymus, was not with him when Jesus came. The other disciples therefore said to him, We have seen the Lord. But he said unto them, 
that Christ shall see in his hands the print of the nails, and put my finger into the print of the nails, and thrust my hand into his side, I will not believe. If I can't see it, I'm not going to believe it. That's the world, isn't it? But look down at verse number 29. Jesus said to him, Thomas, because thou hast seen me, thou hast believed. Watch this. Blessed are they that have not seen and yet have believed. That's me. Some believe only what they can see. The Christian believes in what he thinks. Do you realize that the saints in First Peter had no vision? They, they, had, they had no appearances? They had no angelic visitation? They, had no, they didn't even have what the Old Testament had. Because in the Old Testament, sometimes it's the angel. In the Old Testament, sometimes it was the theophany. They don't even get what the Old Testament saints have, but they absolutely believe what they have not seen. First John 5 and verse 10. He that believeth on the Son of God hath to witness in himself. He that believeth not God has made him a liar because he believeth not the record that God gave of his Son. You can believe something that you have never beheld. But come back to my verse. Verse number 8. Can you, can, you, can you love someone you've never looked upon? Can you believe something you've never beheld? Can you experience something you can't express? Whom having not seen, you love. In whom when I see him not yet believing, watch this, ye rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory. That word unspeakable found three times in your Bible. Three unspeakable things. Second Corinthians 12, verse 2. I know a man about Christ about 14 years ago. Whether in the body cannot tell, whether out the body cannot tell, has caught up in heaven and heard unspeakable. Speakable words. Can't even tell you what I heard and saw up there. I'd love, I'd love to describe heaven. It'd be a great book. I, I, there's just no words for it. Second Corinthians nine fifteen. Thanks be unto God for His unspeakable gift. Can't even describe it to you. Tell you about it. Testify, and my words are unworthy. It is unspeakable. Third unspeakable thing. You rejoice with a joy unspeakable. So happy, can't even put it in words. So much joy, I can't even express it. You ever watch, somebody, you ever watch, you ever watch on TV with the one, when the suit skates, suit skates, and a guy comes up in the van, he's got a big check, 5,000 a week for the rest of your life, knocks on the door, and the actor or the person comes to the door. Huh? You notice they never come to the door in hair rollers? Huh? Comes to the door, you've won the sweet steaks, and they're so joyful, they're so happy. They're just, just so excited, and they're just jumping up and down. That's the kind of joy that must be talking about. Just so happy, just so joyful, just so satisfied. I just can't tell you. Just can't express it. I told the choir Friday night, I, 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 I'm, I'm almost done, I'm ready. I, I'm really trying to. I, I told the choir Friday night we, we're getting ready to start practicing Christmas music here in a couple of weeks. I, I'm not a big Christmas music fan. I'm a big Christmas fan. But, but anyway, we're going to do Christmas music for everybody else. And, and so I, I got a playlist on YouTube, and there's three or four songs that I want the choir to do. And there's a couple of Christmas songs. I don't like songs about ring the bells and winter bells and winter wonderlands and sleigh rides. I don't like that stuff. There's a song about Jesus Christ, born to die, something like that. I, I can handle that. 
There's two Christmas songs. Two Christmas songs. I've listened to probably 30 times in the last couple of days. And going down the road in my truck, listening to it, crank it up as loud as I can, loud as I can, and just cry and just rejoice. And in my spirit, just shouting. And I'd love to tell you, I'd love to tell you wonderful day. I just, I just can't take it. I just can't take it. And I think a good illustration, I think good illustrations in the Old Testament. When Solomon built that temple, the first day they came in with all the sacrifices. And those priests came in the first day, and that temple was filled with the glory of God. And it got so thick in there that the Bible says that the priests could not minister for reason of the glory of the Lord. Old timers used to talk about how it's getting thick in here. Huh? Getting, getting smoky in here. It's getting, getting, getting thick. The presence of God, so real, so real, you can't preach, you can't sing. And the Bible, the Bible says that I am the temple of God. That's what I am. And I'm telling you that His glory can fill your soul, and it becomes so powerful, it can become so real, it can become so overwhelming, that it is joy unspeakable and full of glory. I tell you about it, you wouldn't understand it unless you experienced it for yourself. Let me ask you a question. I'm, I'm done. Just, just come to the temple. Right, just come. Do you really love the Lord? Never seen Him. But do you love Him? Not asking if you're saved or not, but in your heart, is there something that's more valuable to you than Him? Do you really believe? you believe He can carry you through? you believe He's sufficient for you? The proof of it is if there's any joy. You have any joy for coming to church? You have any joy for serving giving? You have any joy even during the trials? The trials. I'm telling you, you've got something that is more valuable than gold. Right now, right now, I'm, I'm done. Right now, gold is trading at $1,750 an ounce. Now, they don't measure gold in ounces like everything else. It's 20 ounces, it's 12 ounces, it's different, it's different. I went over to the postage meter in the print shop this morning, and I weighed my Bible. And that Bible right there is exactly 40 ounces. 40 ounces. If that was a bar of gold right there, a bar of gold, a bar of gold, that'd be worth $70,000 right now. Now, if you have a Bible or gold, which would you have? Now, I'm talking about that's your only, that's your only hope of having a Bible for your life. That's it. Can't get it on the internet. No. I'm talking about you, you, you have, here's what David said, more to be desired than gold, than gold, yea, than much fine gold. If somebody said to give you $70,000, you can have a Bible in your life. Which one is most precious? A good name would rather be chosen than great riches, loving favor more than silver and gold. How much gold would you give? allow somebody to ruin your testimony? Would you rather be honest and true and reputable and commendable and have a good name? Or would you rather have gold? There's a lot of people that have sold their soul for gold. How much would you sell your name for gold? I'm telling you, for those saints that have joy and peace and love and a faith that trials cannot shake, here's what they tell you. They tell you that it's more precious and gold. I rejoice in my faith more than I do in my gold. 
My faith has rewarded me and enriched me more than my goal. My walk with Christ and the fact that He is real to me and my love to Him, it is more valuable to me than gold. 